debating with, or trying to figure out if I'm probably going to go into work tonight. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's, I would probably have to leave here though around three. So that's let's cool. get a move on. Chop, chop. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Back to another fun, exciting 2017 episode of Theatrical Conjecture Station. TCAT. Fancy name for an unfancy show. It is I, your host, coming from where it obviously does rain in wet southern Southern California. God damn, it is just wet out here. And coming to us from what I'm guessing also raining, also raining. Oh, it's raining too. Well, <laughs> yeah. Look, look at that shit. Obviously, there is a there is some sort of um, kinetic uh, energy that we we're transferring between us. We're sharing the rain. Ms. Jure Stewart, how you doing, Ms. Stewart? Uh, pretty good, Miss Chambers. Pretty good. It's raining there so much. Did you hear about that? Uh, that redwood tree that fell. Yep. It's like a thousand-year-old the cave tree, the one that you would see in all those old brochures with the the hole cut in the middle so cars could drive. Could through. drive through it. Yep. It uh fell over. It, it fell over because of the rain. Uh, I think that truly is a sign of the end of times now. Yeah, when a thousand-year-old tree, tree is, start dying off, it's not good. Be prepared, people. Get your zombie supplies ready. Yeah, right. It's coming. Those preppers, those preppers have it right. Obviously, shit. I need to get a, I need to get an underground bunker. But all right, let's get started. First one for 2017. Let's do this. All right. All right. So, here we go. <laughs> so before we talk about the Golden Globes, like the first thing I wanted. Are we to... really going to talk about the Golden Globes? Maybe I don't know. Maybe I mean uh, just talk about awards in general. Oh, okay. Well, we, we can do it. Yeah. Um, because this is this is sort of related, but it's like it's just interesting. Um, I, I have a couple of things about awards in general that I was like, you know, that have been digging in my craw these past couple of days. Mm. One one of them is, um, you know, how do they decide best supporting versus best actor or actress in in any given movie? And it's so weird because you'll have a movie like Fences where Viola Davis is, you know, the only uh, adult woman in the movie. Basically, and yeah. she's supporting actress, you know. Um, and so then it's like, is it a screen time thing? Is it, is it, and, you know, and I, I've been kind of doing some research and I think what it, it's the people who give the awards essentially decide. So the studios will... I mean, there are, you know, some limits where, you know, you have because you can have a person win Best Supporting Actor and they have like one scene like um, what was it? Uh, Viola Davis in, in um, Doubt. She had like one scene. Um, I wouldn't even necessarily have said that was like supporting, but it was, I guess, good enough for the 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 push. But it's the studios. They figure, you know, what we have this these movies going against these potential movies in these potential categories what's like the best possible chance that these people have to win in mm. what category this and like that's the, it kind of you know futzes with how they decide something is a comedy versus a drama too when you have a show that straddles the line like Atlanta or Orange is the New Black or right, right. you know it could go either way they try to figure out what's their best like what's their best category that they have a better chance of winning in and it's just so weirdly subjective um 
I don't know if any of our our listeners have any thoughts about that, but I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, you could have, you know, like um, Meryl Streep, I think she was potentially nominated for two awards one year, uh, the year she did Julie Julia. And so they were trying to decide if they were going to make her be best supporting actress or best actress because she's playing Julia Child, so she's like a lock, but it's more of an Amy Adams movie, and maybe she has a better chance of winning for the other movie that she was nominated for. So it's like it's like this weird chess political campaigning strategy game versus, you know, you do any, like us, the peons at the bottom, it's like, you know, you're, you're jockeying for... A, a better because it, it affects your pay scale as far as television goes whether you're you know a guest star co-star you know supporting recurring like all of that stuff those are actual titles that affect your your pay scale and how they they kind of have changed over the years to where you know something that 10 years ago would have been a guest star and gotten you know a bigger bump is now you know just supporting and then like it's it's co-stars are 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 more they want to give you a co-star credit when really you should be getting a guest star credit but they don't want to give you that like top of show your name and the the pay that goes with that and it's like it's just so interesting how it's it's all very subjective like unlike any other business or you know industry where it's pretty straightforward you know oh absolutely i'm you you, you're hitting the i mean i'm not gonna say it is the problem or it's more of just a symptom of hollywood itself that it is not really about the work it's about it's 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 about the i don't want to say the fame in it but how can we take it and and i mean basically they they look in the end result of of quantifying it into numbers and money in other words i mean and and maybe this is a bad example but take that movie gods of egypt <laughs> it had nothing to do with the actual story or um wh- whatever the the writers had written basically i mean the the whole controversy came down to like they took the movie and they just thought okay who's bankable enough that we can get this done y- you know what i'm saying sure so then when it comes to award seasons like all right how can we make sure that Universal or Sony or Paramount is in best chances to win these awards. Never mind, not really thinking, not thinking about. Hey, w- let's not even worry about that. These are still just quality projects in and of itself. Sure, having a Golden Globe or an Oscar, what what does that necessarily matter for us? People are going to see them anyway, right? Just within and, uh, the nomination uh, process. Right. And then I don't know if the, the awards, if it affects, you know, because in industry, you know, you have pretty much the industry standard of what you're going to make. And, you know, generally women make 70 cents on the dollar for men, uh-huh. just in general. But that's, you know, it it is what it is. But for acting, it's 
each individual actor has their quote and it's based on, you know, their popularity and visibility and how much money they made on the last project. So you make something, you kind of don't go backwards. So then that's, that becomes your quote. And so then, you know, your agent will be like, this is our quote. This is what we're, the, what we'll accept and nothing less. And so then you, you continue to grow and grow and grow until your quote is like, you know, whatever it's going to be. But it's so weird. I was reading this one article and, uh, it was talking about, you know, um, no strings attached. Cause we just watched Jackie last night with Natalie Portman and, you know, she's been a consistently, you know, working, growing, you know, you know, leading actress. And she made three times less than Ashton Kutcher for that movie because simply for the fact that his quote was three times more than hers because he had been doing, uh, I guess television. And then he had done a couple of movies. Um, and I just thought that was so strange, like the same amount of work, the same amount of screen time, the same movie, you know, but yet their their pay disparity is so great. But then it's like one of those things where you can't really complain about it because you're still making a million dollars versus three million dollars, you know. Okay. So it's like right. can't you don't feel and coming from most actors are like, you know, poor to start with. So you don't feel like you're justified to bitch about such a thing because you're making a million dollars, you know, shut your mouth and, you know, but yeah, then it's I mean, like. Right. Because on, on the face of it, you're dealing with numbers that 1 million to 3 million, it's different than if if uh, this woman at this job is only getting paid eight seventy five and this dude is getting paid $15 an hour. Whole right. different. For the same job. For the same job because those levels of money uh, have a much more profound effect in terms of the difference as sure. opposed to this one million to three, because either one, uh, you're, you're not hurting. But the principle behind it is right. the problem because that can just trickle down and filter down to everywhere. You can't let that stand you as can't. if that's something that's okay. It's just tough with actors taking up that mantle because you have to do it in a very, very, uh, you have to walk a fine line, you have to be very careful in how you come across and how you portray it or else you come off as tone deaf you complaining about your five million dollar salary for this movie you did you know and you have to really couch your the way you do it in in ways that can get you know the average guy with the hourly um salary job to understand that it's a benefit for all Sure. It's just so it's, it's just a muddy industry in, in all aspects, like everything about it is there's no, you know, right way or wrong way or, you know, I mean, this direct path, like you could go to school for six years to be a doctor, do your residency at a hospital, get a job at a doctor's office, you're a doctor, like there's just it's just such a muddy industry. Um, and, and, and I think it was definitely done on purpose. Because it, it was done so that the – if you go way back, it was done so the studios always came out on top. Absolutely. The studios always had the final say, the, the, the word. And, and even as it went away from being a studio system to where it's mainly like Hollywood is dominated by be it your A-list uh, actors but now like your your A-list directors or writers. I mean it's, it's dominated by just whoever is the, you know, the hot person. Mm -hmm. be it be it behind the scenes or in front and 
to get to that position, it's very much um, a, a like you say, it, it is so incredibly non-linear, and there's there's so many non-rules written down as to how things work that it it is it is ripe for being people taken advantage of. It is ripe for people to just not even get a look. I mean, it it is right. it's 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 sort of a system meant f- to let all those below fight amongst themselves and and you know kill themselves to try to get there. But then, sure. But then once you cross the threshold, then it's meant to protect everybody above that threshold from all mm-hmm. of us peons below. Right, because it's one of those things where every rule that you hear never do this, I guarantee you somebody got a job because they did that. Oh, of course. Of course. Absolutely. And and, and, and and every rule that I've heard about never do this or I remember taking, you know, screenwriting classes in college and they say this is this is not how you want to to start off or you need to do this in your first five pages. You don't want a whole bunch of this dialogue or this and this. And we've all seen plenty of movies that or TV shows that have totally gone opposite. Mm-hmm. I have at least of every rule that's ever been told to me. I have just, a clear genre, have a clear, be able to concisely describe your show in one, you know, five word sentence. And then you have stranger things, which blows everything away and you can't describe it. Or, exactly. you know, it's just, it's just one of those things where I don't know, I guess it's more intuitive than, than rule based. Yeah. So, I mean, which is why I always tell everybody, I'm like, listen, don't listen to whatever anybody else really says. If, if if you've got something, if you've got a vision of something, if you have an idea of something, go with it. Try to flesh it out as much as you can and get it out there and just let everybody else decide. Right. Don't, make don't, it for you. Right. Don't let the rules decide first for you. Make it for you. Put it out there and then get some feedback and then you can work with that and, and you know, build up a next step with it or, or you know, do whatever you want. But just don't. Don't follow all those, well, nobody does it that way, or is this or that. You do it first for you, and then you can build off it um, that way after that. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that's all you can really do. Uh, really, is, yeah. you know. Or else you'll never get anything done, because everybody will always tell you nobody does this, or don't do that, or all, all those sorts of foolish nonsense. You know. What I will tell people... And I'm telling, talking to you young millennials because as a Generation Xer, you guys... Are you a Generation Xer I'm for a, real? I'm, I'm considering I guess for my birth age, I am a Generation Xer. Right. Okay. I think you are considered Generation Y. I'm, yeah, because I'm on the line mm-hmm. um, essentially because I'm I'm right on the line and then my parents... but they're on the line too so they're like like some of these millennials their parents are the same age as my parents like i could be their older sister rather than their parent Mm -hmm. you know so yeah you're bordering there right so the only thing i will tell these millennials and this considers this just a public service announcement please stop putting everything out there <laughs> I mean everything oh my god it, it... I know it's so funny because you think about like I you know was going through some old photos at home when I went home and you see like these super 
classy pictures of my grandparents, you know, in like the, in like the fifties and stuff. And my grandmother was like, you know, got her like fly updo and, you know, mm-hmm. skirts and, you know, and like her very, her Jackie O skirts. And I just think about these kids in, you know, 50 years from now when they're going through their grandmother's stuff and she's got like duck face, boob shotted selfies and like, <laughs> and I mean, just and and and, and, and that's and, gonna be amazing. And Lord knows, all the ones that put out all the drunken photos, or the and guys are no worse. Like every no, other picture. No, like, no, I mean, can you imagine finding your stash of grandpa's dick pics? Like, yeah, come on, yeah, get out of here. It is, it it is, it is. You know, here's the thing. I was having a conversation at work at some somebody in. Uh, a guy who is probably in his late twenties, maybe early thirties, and he was talking about man, it's it just seems so crazy out there. I mean, people are just crazy, or people are just like, um, I think he was just making, especially like with young people, like they're, they're just crazy, or they don't know anything, or you know, making a general statement that the world just seems crazier out there, or, or people are, are just, or maybe saying people are just mean or whatever. I said, listen. Nothing has really changed. I said, now, certain, um, we, we have progressed with, with certain social and cultural norms will change over time because I think just in terms of progress, I mean, people do evolve. Like, we evolved from thinking interracial marriage is illegal to where it's like, nah, that's okay. I mean, we, we do evolve in that way. But just as human beings, our baser instincts have never changed. If if you had social media in the 1950s or 60s the way you have it now, it would be the same damn thing where young people would be putting every part of their business out there for whatever reason. It's just back then when there was no social media, everything stayed hidden. People kept that stuff behind their closed doors. I mean, look at Hollywood. I mean, Im- imagine if there was social media in like the 50s or 60s. You would have found out that like Rock Hudson was gay so much sooner. And that would have been the scandal. Or all of the different actors or actresses that were sleeping around that you find out later. All that business would have been out there. Right. I feel like we just, you know, as a as a country, as a culture, didn't like over time grew an appetite for that it was i mean it would have probably always been there but it was one of those things where we didn't know we wanted it until it was presented to us because those things were kept under wraps like you know the it was a sense of decorum as far as you know they didn't publish things about you know president having an affair or you know even we were watching jackie last night and she you know was smoking and like Mm -hmm. He would never publish that. But it was all there, smoked. though. But it was all there. But the public's appetite for it has been built up over time. Like they they started with the you know the gossip columns and the tabloids, mm-hmm. you know, getting their start in the in the forties and fifties, and then yes. it just stopped. But they could still have a sense of, you know, the studios had such an iron fist over the the papers oh, yeah. as far as you know we need this bankable star you can't out this scandal we'll pay you x amount of mm-hmm. dollars and we'll give you this other scandal or th- that voyeuristic appetite though was always there 
Right. It's just that, that like, like human so, nature hasn't changed. Yeah, human nature changed. It's like what you're saying. Eating the beast. Hollywood, the studios, they could piecemeal what they wanted out there to to satisfy that appetite to get enough people interested in their big name star doing whatever. Whereas nowadays, it's the wild wild west. I mean, and and I I in particularly I specifically blame the Kardashians for this. <laughs> Yes. Look, I'm going to blame them basically as part of the end of the world whenever it does happen. Because think about it. So then you know whose fault it really is then. It's Kim Kardashian and Ray No, it's Ryan Seacrest. Uh, well, he, he, he is involved in this too. He but, made it happen. But once her sex tape got out and the fame she was able to parlay from a sex tape, it the, the floodgates of every person that has, has sort of aspired to make social media their meal ticket and thereby mm-hmm. put everything about themselves out there and hope that, okay, one of these things will stick and I'll be the next viral star and somehow I will transfer that viral stardom into cash money. Right. Rather than create creative content, it's just my life, my boring ass life is so interesting that people are going to want to watch me. Like I respect those YouTubers that do something like, you know, they do tutorials. They I mean, even the guys that play video games and make fun of them. I mean, that's at least something, some kind of content that, you know, whether you find that valuable or not, people are watching. I mean, PewDiePie wouldn't be the number one YouTube star making like millions of dollars every year if people weren't going to watch it. But just to put your general mundane, boring ass breakfast from Panera on Instagram, because I don't know why. (laughs) Or, or I, I, I don't understand the term I've heard the term of a social uh, a social media influencer or just influencers in general and I've heard that for years now sure and it's it's a and it it's it's taken from somehow these people on social media who somehow get famous for putting out whatever about themselves and then they get paid to advertise because they get enough eyes or like I'm like hey listen I mean, that's starting to affect us where, you know, people will look at your social media profiles, not like and and decide whether or not to cast you or not because of how many people you're already garnering followers for. And I think that's ridiculous. But then the other the other flip side is, is even take it out of the Hollywood um, um, framework. And uh, people now, when these millennials finally grow up and say, walk out into the real world to get a real job and then when people look them up on a simple google search and see their half naked you know cancun pics or the the mirror like you say for guys god knows dick pics never die they're still out there i mean those things can come back and haunt you in ways that you haven't even fathomed yet because nothing on the internet goes away Nothing goes away. But, you know, if they're, I mean, at this point, though, they're going to start hiring each other. So I feel like the the acceptability and and lags attitude towards that type of, like, it's even already. So the standards are going to get lower. Yeah, like 10 years ago, you could get fired for having pictures from college show up. True. Yeah. You know, like if like there was that one school teacher that had pictures from spring break and she was drinking show up, you know, because Facebook was relatively new and she got fired from being a teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's like nowadays that would never happen. 
Yeah. Yeah, it it, it and and it's it's just all I'm saying to you young people, just just do a double take. That's all. Like just know that what what I put out there, do I want this out there in perpetuity? That's all Forever. I'm Forever. Do I want my, my great grandkids going through their, you know, do they cybernetic want to see, addicts? Yes. <laughs> do they want to see grandma twerking out there? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so just that, that's it. And I don't know, it's a weird thing, but it, it's it's sort of one of those things where I was just sort of browsing through my Instagram and, and just going to some of my friends and, and some other people. And I, I, I just noticed the people that always seem to post quite a bit and always want to post a lot about everything that they're doing. And I'm, and I, and just searching and seeing other people's, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't understand the need that every day I have to share something on a more personal level about myself. Because I think for some people, I, I think they feel incomplete if they don't do it. If I don't post something I've eaten today or whatever I'm doing, uh, I, I don't get it. It's a little bit scary, too, because you have a group of people who know you better than you know them. And so then, it, I don't know, it's its just interesting. I guess that's a celebrity thing, too, where, mm-hmm. you know, this familiarity can lead to, you know... And 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 that's another thing. At least with celebrities and social media, I mean, I, I, and I can get it because if if you can establish a sort of, hey, I'm just like you with, say, your fans, it can, it can promote uh, almost a a bond and and you know get people to see your projects or, or kind of. Um, uh, look out for whatever movie or whatever you're coming by. It, it can increase your 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 fans being more loyal to you, and I get it. I do think some do it's very smart. Some it's a bit much. You know, have you ever seen? Um, do you follow Wesley Snipes on Twitter? I don't. Um, I I I'm about to because I didn't know he was on there. Yes, Wesley Snipes on Twitter is amazing because he. De- for him on Twitter, he he kind of puts out more um, inspirational messages. He he sort of puts out funny things, and then he just responds a lot to uh, fan questions. But he keeps it very light. He keeps it very humorous, and he tries whatever his own personal messages. He tries to keep those in more of a hopeful, aspirational sort of thing. Sure. Like he's not you know getting on bitching like. Like, oh, shit, my fucking car's broke down. Today sucks. You know, it, it's nothing like that. Do you think it's really him, or do you think he has, like, no. a social media I believe I, I believe for him it's really him because it doesn't come off as selling something or promoting something. It all feels a bit more personal, especially in his answering some of his tweets. And it's insanely funny. I, I highly recommend everybody. Find Wesley Snipes' official Twitter. I, I forget what it is. It is Wesley Snipes. It's yeah. got the little blue check mark. So we, we we follow him. TK podcast. We follow him because I'm like, this is too good. And He's wearing an ascot in yeah. his profile picture. See, he does. <laughs> see, that's doing. That is doing one part of social media right. You know, it's 
he, he's not putting all of his business out there, but he's connecting with his fans and he's keeping a very positive vibe and, and people are loving him. Another one that I've seen do a real good job is, is on Instagram is Sam Jackson on mm-hmm. Instagram. Um, George CK is really good on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone on Instagram, who I also follow along with Sam Jackson on Instagram does a really good job too, because again, like Sam Jackson does a lot of photos from just different. Wesley Snipes wrote a novel. What? What's the name doing things? Sam Jackson does a lot of pictures with him in it. And, and he does a lot of when he's on different projects, which is good. Cause he, he kind of gets fans inside like, Hey, here's what I'm working on next. Here's what's coming. Or here's what I'm going next. Here's what projects working on. So, you know, it, his is a little bit of a bit of, um, not so much selling, but it's got a business aspect because he's letting people know. If you look at the Sly Stallone Instagram, his gets a bit more personal with he sort of reveals a little bit of his personal life, but he tries to keep it on a more comedic level with some jokes, some, you know, self-disparaging jokes about him and his age. And he mainly does it just to show funny stuff with his family, which, again, is very smart it gets people to feeling attached and he doesn't really reveal anything deeply personal, you know? So, I mean, there's just some people that sort of do it um, very smartly and they, they, they kind of have a fairly regular presence. So it, in terms of, you know, just in the Hollywood setting, I mean, it, it can be done very very well and one thing i've noticed is they've sort of kept out of being very political on social media which is fine i have no problem if they they do or do not because i think for them they see it more as i'm just going to keep it on more of a human level and relating to my fans and i'm going to stay out of that realm and they're going to keep it on more of a a positive ish sort of side which is great i'm like i can't argue with that so there are really good ways of doing social media without having your business out there for all the world to parse through and, and come back and haunt you, you know, 20 years later. Some people do it right. Some studios are iffy. I, I, I can't say I really follow any studios because they, uh, they don't necessarily post, I find, anything inf- more informative than what project's coming up next. And, you know, you could find that on any number of blogs, but at least with some of the actual actors and players out there, some of them uh, uh, keep it interesting. Some of them keep it very relatable. That kind of makes you, you know, want to be their fan or want to follow. I tell you, I'm serious. When I found the Wesley Snipes Twitter, I was like, holy shit, I, I got to follow him. We have to follow him. This is amazing stuff. Wait, yeah, I'm not updating my Instagram right now. Like, I have an Instagram, but it's one of those things. You know, it's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a uh, a lurker. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm like, cool. I mean, shoot, my Instagram is it's it's uh, it has a. I won't even say it has a decent amount of pictures because I've seen some. That I mean, the pictures is just insane, and to me, the amount of pictures I have in mind, I think, is a lot, which would probably be like a month for other people, and this is like for years 
you know, or the two years or that I've been on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't take very many or put out a whole lot, but it's, um, I understand the lurking because sometimes you just go on other people's and you're like, holy cow, it's a lot of shit. But it was one of those things where I've had an Instagram for several years and I couldn't decide whether I wanted it to be personal or professional, like, or if I wanted it to be for acting or for my art. And so then the longer it stayed empty, the longer it stayed empty. <laughs> so. Now you can combine, you can combine all of that. Trust me. You can. No, I, I know. But at yeah. this point it's just sort of like <laughs> a four year old Instagram page with not one post. You have to put, see now I think, I think the fans are going to demand, okay, you have to start doing something. It's it's performance art. <laughs> <laughs> to see how long, see if you could be the last person on Instagram who never posts anything. Never posts anything. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm juggling several other accounts, like Twitter, you know, true. accounts and Facebook pages and, and all that other jib jabs. Because I, I, I don't really like to necessarily post the exact same content on, like some people, there's some websites that you can use that will just sort of, you post it to the one site and it'll disseminate it out to all your other exactly, things. Yeah, but yeah. you have a lot, you can have a lot of the same people following a lot of the different things. And so I do like to individually, even if it's the same like I'm posting a link from the latest episode of this web series, but maybe the caption will be different on the different sites. Like I want to do it by hand. Like I'll post something and I might say something completely different, even though I'm posting the same general mm -hmm. content, you know, mm -hmm. just because I don't know. I like to, I am a, a member of, you know, several different uh, communities online. And a lot of times I'll see the same things posted over in, in all three of them. And I'm like, I can't remember which one I saw it in. And then it's just like all three, cause they're all the same, right. you know? And it's just, I think that that's one of the things that's so great about living in the future is we have access to so much information and I want all of it. I don't want the same thing over and over again. That is true. That is the beauty of living in the future. 21st century isn't it just great everything at your fingertips yep speaking of at your fingertips or I don't really know if it's speaking but it just seemed like a perfect time for a little segue okay because I know we were talking about awards and and the golden globes which was great hey I was like I didn't watch it I just you know went to a website just to see the winners list and yeah it looks like La La Land really swept Everything. And that's what I need to see because while I am not one who will run out to the movies to see a musical, I have like, you know, sat and watched Turner Classic movies and they've shown like Oklahoma. Yeah. And I sat and watched it and I was like, you know what? I can sort of, I can dig why back in the 60s, why these musicals are so popular because. Oh yeah. Singing in the Rain is my jam. Because they spent money. Oh, on absolutely. these things, and I, I'm j just from the sets, the amount of people, just just the the musical pieces. I'm like, oh West yeah, Side Story. Like, the, 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 I love musicals. I'm they not even spent money <laughs> on them, and and you know some of these musicals that are really famous, like say your Oklahoma or The King and I. There the is I. iconic music. You know, I just watched West Side sure. Story, and there's just iconic songs that you've always heard, and you're like, there it is. 
and you watch the pieces and it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, I haven't made it yet to La La Land. Um, well, we just got our screeners finally, which you know what? I'm sorry, Sag. It's like, it's kind of annoying because I have no idea. It's not like I can um, complain because it's like one of those things where it's like you can't complain because you're getting free movies. But we're supposed to vote on these movies like next week. And we normally get our screeners before the holidays so we can take them home when we actually have time to watch movies, you know, mm-hmm. for an entire week. And they didn't come. They were like three weeks late. We just started getting them. So I got La La Land to watch. But it's like you can be damn sure if you're one day late paying your dues, oh. you're not getting your screeners and you can't vote. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, but, but that's anyways. how it always is. Now, which screeners have you had a chance to see? Um, we watched Jackie last night. Um, which was really good. Natalie Portman was really good. And it was interesting because it is not about uh, Jackie Kennedy's entire life. It's just about the week after Kennedy was assassinated mm-hmm. and her dealing with the death and dealing with her children and planning the funeral and planning the memorial and trying to do whatever she could to secure his legacy so that people would remember him and he wouldn't be... Because, you know, he was only president for a couple of years. Yeah. And, like... But still dealing with the grief of losing her husband, but also, you know, being, I guess, media or politically savvy enough to try to do what she could to make sure that people would remember. Um, and it was it was very well acted. She she did a great job. It was interestingly shot, it was shot on 60 millimeter film. Uh, some of it was super 16. So it looks like uh film of the time mm-hmm. and they blended it in with some of the films like the film of you know the actual kennedy assassination or when she did the white house tour um around valentine's right, day in like right. 1961 they 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 use some of the long shots that were you know kind of out of focus from the actual event and then blended that into the movie so then when they did the close-ups it was natalie portman but in the longer shots it was actually jack kennedy so they the whole movie was shot on 16 millimeter film which gave it that that more authentic film look than you know a lot of the movies that come out these days that are shot on you know the red or the alexa or whatever yeah. Um, but she, you know, completely transformed her speech patterns and cadence to sound like Jack Kennedy. And from the trailers, I thought it was going to be more, uh, annoying and hokey than it was in the movie. It was, it was actually, uh, quite impressive, uh, transformation. Um, I mean, it's still, I don't know, I guess. I was just I was reading more about the script. It you know it's one of those scripts that have been hanging out for a while. I think it was on the blacklist um, for for a bit, a few years. And uh, Darren Aronofsky was originally attached to it, and it was going to be um, Rachel Weisz was mm-hmm. Jackie Kennedy. She just looks so much like her, she and does. I know, and she's a solid actress. And it's just like it's one of those things. Like what if? Um, that I can't quite shake. I mean, I, you know, I think Natalie Portman is great. Um, she was great in it. And Jackie Kennedy was, you know, she was only 34 or so when JFK was assassinated. So she's young. It's just, there's something so youthful about Natalie Portman that whenever I see her in roles like this, it still kind of feels like a play, like a high school production. Because she, she, she doesn't. I look at her and I'm like 34. I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. 
Like yeah. she doesn't exude the gravitas of exactly. an older person, yes. which yes. I, I mean, I feel like that's a double edged sword. Like it's, it's great. And then it's also not so great as far as trying to do meteor roles that are age appropriate. And right. it, it just, it doesn't quite feel right. Like it just, mm-hmm. yeah. Like she doesn't feel like she's somebody's mom. Yep. Like I, I mean, she is, but she doesn't come off that way necessarily on screen. And it's just, it's like one of those things like Winona Ryder is quintessentially a nineties girl. And I can't buy her in a period piece like, um, Dracula, little women. I mean, even stranger things to some degree, because she, she just has this thing where she's just like very modern. She has a modern feel to her. Oh no, you're right. But I mean it is what it is. Um Any other ones? Um oh yeah. Uh we watched Arrival oh. which <laughs> you have you have uh an opinion. <laughs> I think we brief I think we talked about it or, or touched we did, on it. I saw it. I saw it. In but, but again, I I I'm watching it in and and it's it, it's it's sort of like you know what they did with collateral beauty uh, to me that the trailers portrayed something totally different than what we got and so i sat to the movie yeah and, we did talk about this yeah we, we did but i mean I, I, just just for the, those few people because i know everybody is always listening well, to our podcast it was like contact like they did the same thing they did with contact which made me upset because but what the difference is I like contact, but I knew what what it was getting walking in with contact. I mean, to me, con- I didn't from the trailers of contact. They made it seem like it was going to be this sci fi action adventure. Romp oh no! In space. Oh come on now! And that's come what on the trailers now. were. If oh, you go back, now. you go back and you watch those trailers for contact. They made it seem like it was going to be like this space alien adventure, and it was a socio political commentary movie. Right. And right. this and and about the nature of religion and politics exactly. and society. And the nature of truth. And this movie was, they made it seem like it was going to be some sci-fi romp. And it was about linguistics, essentially, and the nature of language and how it affects your perception of reality. And that's a movie that I totally would go see. But just tell me that's the movie I'm going to go see. Even that movie, well, I have to be honest, that movie I probably wouldn't go see. Right. You wouldn't have. They tricked you. Like they bait and switched they did, and, because and I totally get that. I thought I was going to be getting maybe a smarter alien visitation movie, right? And to me, the actual aliens were almost not even necessary because no, they weren't. It, it seemed to be this thing about language, but then also about they kept touching on that story of if you knew what was going to happen in the future. Would, if, yeah, if, right. If, it if was, you knew it was, this loss was coming. Would you, right. would you still do it? And so it it, it got to be it's, a very personal, metaphysical sort of a thing. And I'm like, oh. Um. It straddled the line between those specific two concepts that yes. it didn't thoroughly explain either one of them. It did. Enough to where if you weren't already familiar with the two of them that you would be invested. And so then they threw in like the sprinkles of aliens on top and – and so every time I'm watching with the aliens, I'm like, "All right, let's let's find out some more." And then they'd always diverge away, and and you know, like you're saying, the aliens were basically these two hands. 
the, the finger, yeah, the, these the, two the, chapped hands. hands you know? I just imagine like somebody in like you know the the, the when they're doing the storyboards and like one of the guys just puts his hand on the desk and he's like, and then the aliens walk across like this. And that was just like a placeholder. And, and they then like, they just, perfect. Got, yeah, they just got to the point where they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really but, um, all we need. So uh, I feel like uh, the theories of language affecting how you think is a very interesting concept that could have been explained and delved into and explored further and then the morality you know play of if you know something terrible is going to happen do you in good conscience still allow it to happen because it's like yeah it was a short life but it was a good life do you then take away like both of those concepts are interesting and would make interesting movies but they didn't spend enough time with either one of them um to be as effective as it could been. So, uh, so every time I see like you know, just before the new year, and you, you know, there's always the best movie list, and I see Arrival on there. I'm just like, ugh. I liked it though. I'm not gonna say that I didn't, but it's one of those things too. Or I was familiar with both of those things from you know just a personal curiosity standpoint, mm. having done some reading and research into those concepts because they're interesting to me for other reasons, and right. so. I didn't need necessarily the primer that yeah. would be. It, 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 I didn't think it was a bad movie. It just left yeah. me when I finally saw the direction it was going. I was I just disappointed because I wanted it. I was expecting something else, and then right. when it finally ended, I just felt like I just sat for two hours and and kind of just watched an inc- to me an incomplete story that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know. Um, and then we saw Fences. Um, oh, oh, oh. Fences, man, they gave us a lot of cheddar. It was interesting. Um, I went and saw it in the theater, but we also got screeners for it. They gave us, like, the the DVD, and it came with, like, a, a fence. A book. <laughs> uh, essentially, it came with this whole book that looked like a playbill from a Broadway play. And it had, like, Ooh. photos and, like, all kinds of, like, you know behind the scenes information it was like like a 10 page full color you know bound playbill like from a real broadway show it was crazy like they spent some money on that you know that political campaign listen fences was that was i I enjoyed i went and saw it i mean i saw it myself and then i i i I, I saw it after i went with the wife and saw it and she said when she left She's like, I'm still emotional because I'm I'm still so angry at at yeah at Denzel's character. <laughs> you know, yeah, he was like because yeah. he he, and she and she said she just left emotional. Now I didn't necessarily leave emotional personally. I I was just left with, and I'm looking at it from a from a perspective of you know, as an as an actor, there are just levels you just want to get to. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I just simply watching both of their performances, and you know especially Denzel, and I was just like, God damn, that is just a level that I just don't know if I can ever get to, and it was just awe inspiring. Yeah, and it was just amazing because I was like, I was just like, wow. It was really interesting just... to watch too because that's one of my one of my favorite plays and I've seen the the version of it with um James Earl Jones. 
James Earl Jones, and I've seen, you know, part of the version of it with Denzel back when it was a stage play. Yeah, and it's Denzel just, and it, Viola. Doing yeah, the stage we're play, in the yeah. stage play, but it's it's just so interesting how how different those three versions are because like the like James Earl Jones is definitely more menacing. Mm-hmm. Like his he was scary, like really scary. Um and to the point where when the son in this movie version said that he was a, like I never felt like Viola Davis's character would ever have been afraid of Denzel's character right. as far yeah, as like yeah. spousal abuse. I didn't think of that like, either. Yeah, like like maybe a little bit of emotional abuse and like neglect, but not afraid. Like mm-hmm. that that came off to me as 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 false because he didn't play it that way. Like maybe the son was afraid of him, but I still didn't even get that necessarily from the way Denzel played it. That his son would have had. His father was strict, but he wasn't abusive per se. But like James Earl Jones was scary AF when he did it. Like you knew that his wife was probably a little bit nervous at all times. Um, And then you watch the Denzel version of the play too. And he's got a little more humor injected into like the Denzel in the movie was much more tragic. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that he was a deeply sad person. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh yeah. Not not and 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 angry but not necessarily volatile angry but just like just a deeply sad individual and everything was cover up this guilt and shame and and sadness. Yep. And and you, and you felt for him even if you didn't want to even though he made these horrible choices that affected his entire family, but I, I didn't feel like they would have been afraid of him like that. Which I'm not saying, you know, one performance is better than the other. It's just really interesting how different the same character, the same dialogue. The different choices, yeah. Be depending on the choices that you make. Oh yeah, it it it, it was, it was. Um, you know, I I think if see if if you go and for fences, if you go and you sit there just as purely one of the movie going crowd. I mean, this is the type of movie where you have to a appreciate theater because it's basically a play put on screen so there's Absolutely. a lot of monologues you know mm-hmm. lots so of long dialogue it's very lot of, it's a yeah. lot of dialogue. so you you have to be able to appreciate theater because you'll understand and then you have to appreciate story you know this is not an action movie this is not some rom-com okay this is story and then you have to have uh, an appreciation for uh, viola and, and Denzel. Yeah, because she held it down. Oh, Denzel yeah. was being his Denzeliest, and Viola yes. Davis did not let that Mm-mm. detract from her screen time so, at all. As just a regular <laughs> movie-going person, you, you would have to have those three things to to enjoy it from, from that aspect. Now, me walking in, I was like, look, I know I'm going to enjoy this because I dig theater, and to me, monologues are, are beautiful things when done right so mm-hmm. i'm just like I, I almost could have just walked in with a notebook and be like all right show me yeah and it was it it was amazing in for and not just their characters i'm, I'm gonna say all of them because everybody 
was top notch. Oh, absolutely. That so, was just So if I'm if I'm just referring to Denzel and Viola, I'm 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 referring to everybody, but obviously those are the two that stands out. So just the nuances, the way this movie was a very black movie. In 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 a way that just the way just the way the, the way that they talked or the way they they said things or uh, like like when he says, "What Bonnie got to do with me? Bonnie ain't do nothing for me." I mean, it just reminded right. me of years ago being in my when we used to live in my, my in my grandmother's place in New York, and she'd sit around with with when she had visitors over, and and you know they'd be gossiping, talking about people, mm-hmm. and you'd hear phrases like that, like, "Well, what the hell? what she got to do with me?" The or, black is dead. <laughs> seriously, I mean, it was a. Is just things like that, or or talking about getting ready for, for dinner, or are you staying over? I mean, yeah, this was a and and the picture of white Jesus in the kitchen. What I said, <laughs> I know that picture. There's a picture of white Jesus in my grandmother's kitchen too, as Same. well as did Same. you notice that sort of engraving of the Last Supper? I forget what room that was in. We yes. had a Last Supper one hanging in in like the living room of my grandma's. We house. have one too. We it, have one too. It's it it was a very black movie, and, and it was just one of those like little things where like the the son would come in and open the refrigerator, and Viola would just snatch the door and close it. Like like it was just like I don't even know if that was you know directed or that's just what you you like. We're not paying for you to cool down the whole house exactly. Like she didn't acknowledge it. She didn't make a big stink about it. She just like closed the door right in his face. Like, <laughs> like snatched the refrigerator door from him and shut it because he was standing there with it open. Like just little things like that that made it so authentic. It was. Yes. It's it's kind of interesting because it's a movie that's heavily there's there's a it's it's heavily acted, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like lives lived as yes. opposed to yes. American Hustle, which came out was that last year or a couple of years ago. There was it was it was like one of those that movie was so much acting happening. And I and I can't feel like I can't say the performances were bad, but it was an exhausting movie because like every scene somebody was acting their ass off, but it felt like acting, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It didn't feel like living these lives. Yeah, and 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 just and, and just another thing I have to I I just got to talk about like when they had that conversation out there about the numbers and yeah. like you know miss miss whoever hit for a nickel or this and that and I was like oh snap numbers because my grandfather used to run numbers That's yeah all he did in Harlem was run numbers and when they talked numbers I was like right there I mean I sat in the theater I'm like. This has got to be almost the blackest movie I've seen in years <laughs> because there's just so many little bits that I think if you were around in the 60s or 70s, granted this movie takes place in the 50s, but yeah. even if I think if you were around in the 60s or 70s, just the way that they talk and certain things, I'm like, oh, there had to have been pieces no matter where you were in whatever you know black neighborhood you might have grown up in that was just so relevant yeah because i think he wrote fences in the mid 80s um i want to say is when that was written but it's you know it's definitely somebody who that was their their life experience growing up as you know a, a product of that time oh yeah um but uh 
yeah, so Fences was definitely solid. Uh, we saw Hidden Figures. Um, I still have to see that. I, I know that's good. Really, I know that's good. It was good in the way that the help wishes it was. Mm. Like, the way that the help felt. Now, the, the, the help did get deep there, though. Self-serving. It did, yeah, but it felt get... self-serving. Like, at the end of the day, it was still white Jesus. You know, right, 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 still, right, right. It was still these women's stories told not from their point of view. Gotcha. Um, and then this was not that. It was these women's stories told from their point of view mm. through their lens. And it was, it felt, it felt better. Like it felt like, like they were allowed to breathe life into their own stories and not have it filtered through someone else someone telling else's it. Lens. Someone see. else's lens. Like, like it just it just felt cleaner in a way that the help wasn't um and and it was a little more i don't know i don't want to say necessarily i don't know it was just it was just interesting because it definitely touched a lot on the 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 intersectionality between racism and sexism which there were i went to it on a sunday morning um you know, because I wanted to pay money to go see it at least and not, you know, just watch it as a screener. Um, and that theater was packed. And it was, wow. you know, there were a lot of black people. There were a lot of white people. But there were a lot of people, black and white, with their daughters, you know, because it's, it seems like yeah. it's, it was just a very important movie yeah. to show that women could excel in science and te- technology mm-hmm. careers despite every disadvantage that you could possibly have you know it's still possible and it's still vitally important and it's still a thing that you know girls are dealing with to this day you know once they get into high school they're completely discouraged from pursuing careers in science math and technology Mm -hmm. and it's it's just so strange that you would have this whole group of women, white women and black women, whose only job it was to be computers, like manual math machines for the space program, and yet they were deemed as not as important as the people they were doing the computing for. And that's insane. It is. It, it's, hey, and it's, when it male-dominated, you know, sorry, it, and it's, it's a sad thing. That it takes so long for for these people to get any sort of recognition. It really is. So nuts, but um, back to fences. It's funny. I did um, I did that monologue, one of Viola's monologues in college, the the one at the end, and it just watching it now as an older person than when I was in college. We'll say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have been like Natalie Portman being Jackie. Like, it's just not having any life experience whatsoever. Oh, yeah. L- listen, let me do. tell you, because if, if you had to do, if you had to do. I think I her- could do it now. Yeah, but I'm saying back Better, then. If back you then? had to do her, well, I, I say monologue because she speaks most of the time, although Denzel speaks too. But if you had to do when she goes running out the kitchen after he tells her he's having yeah, a Yeah, there's a chunk of it that's just a straight monologue. Right. Bit. But if you had to do that then, it's just it, – it just wouldn't because – I mean 
I watched that and I and I'm feeling bad because you know you you have to at least be in some sort of relationship that has time because then you yeah. can understand then god damn it 18 years and you know full and well that a woman back then and especially a black woman had to absolutely put everything she wanted on the back or just forget about it and just try to you know help the husband and live through the husband and and especially with kids i mean all her her hopes and dreams absolutely took a back seat and so you you know you felt that that woman put all them years only to get devastated like that i mean so yeah, yeah i can understand doing it like as a freshman in college it's not gonna quite have the same impact sure it, it and 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 then even from the denzel side from the man point of view it's sort of how he does that I call it the male justification, the rationality yeah. in his head. I, I, I'm watching it and I'm just thinking, he must, I, I'm like, he really believes. I, I'm just thinking, ain't no woman going to buy that shit, Denzel, I'm sorry. <laughs> just, but it's just. It, and he didn't want to give it up either. And, no. and to some degree, you could understand because that's the one place he, he would have had to give it up no matter what. Because that was the one place that he could go where he didn't have any responsibilities. Exactly. Right. And then he went and fucked that up anyway because. Now he, he got a responsibility. He, right. <laughs> and so he would have lost that outlet anyway. And but then so, when, when, when she but, said, you still going to go see her? And he's like, yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. That was savage man that was cold cold but then but then after he brought the baby home and she said you a womanless man i was like oh well she had every justification to be salty oh of course and then and then the look on his face because he had that look of like what'd she say to me wait i know shock oh damn oh i she it's, made him choose, though. She was like, I'll be the mother to this child, or she told or you. Him. She, she told, told him. She, uh, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, again, it, it was, it was a, a, a master class in acting. And, and at, in the theater I was in, I mean, it was all, I, I'm going to say 99.99 older people. And by older, they, they had to be in their 50s on up. And it was mainly uh, like white couples, just white people. And they they got the humor in the certain parts. But at the end, they started clapping. I mean, because I'm thinking that kind of crowd checks off those boxes. They, they appreciate theater. They appreciate story. And I've no doubt they're definitely, you know, Denzel and Viola fans. Because, I mean, when she said that line, you're a womanless man, you, you, you just, you heard the gasps come from the ladies. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, God, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, so while I thought it was one of the blackest movies I've seen, it was mainly because there's just certain things that just reminded me of, of, of my own upbringing, sure. which I know are universal amongst certain black uh, families, certain black communities, but everything about it, though, is a very human, relatable story about just being a basic working class family trying to get through and you, and just having your family problems, you know? Right. A, a son trying to get out the father's shadow, the, the father can't 
seem to reconcile that he did come all he he did come across at the wrong time and and yeah. it's just you you get the bad luck of the draw in life and he like he said he 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 can't he couldn't stand being in the same place for those 18 years and he it made him salty and bitter and mm, oh yeah right <laughs> i'm just saying that would be you know if 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 I can get back into an acting class and they tell me which scene do you want to do from a play, I'm picking up that play. I'm like, I gotta do one of those because it's just just jammed with all sorts of goodness. Ugh. There's so much there's so much in there you know, to explore. It, it yeah. Just so. Yeah, uh, have you had a chance yet to see Moonlight? I haven't. I do have it now though. Right. Um, I got that as one of my screeners. For the next one, I am desperately wanting to hear what you think of Moonlight because if 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 you respond to it how I think you will especially how I respond to it this is going to be also one of those that you will be think I'm still thinking about the movie because it was so good that yeah, yeah yeah I can't wait for you to watch it I have Moonlight I have I'm thinking I guess I'll watch uh, La La Land since I have it and then I'm debating whether or not I want to bother with Manchester by the Sea um, I'm going to let you do I just can't and it's got nothing to do with Casey Affleck no it it's doesn't just, it doesn't appeal to me necessarily yeah but you know it doesn't grab me yet now eventually I'll check it out but it just it just doesn't grab me and I'm like huh but I if know. I gotta vote, you know, I gotta make sure I. That's true. These junks a chance. Don't be uh, one of those people that just never watches any of them and like has an Oscar vote, it, it, which to me is, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I feel like that's 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 wrong. Like seriously, don't do that. Like, don't be that guy. Don't, don't be that person. Have but, you seen as like a little parting uh, gift? <laughs> Did you see I posted it on our Facebook page, the the first photo of Joseph Fiennes as Michael Jackson? Yes. <laughs> I can't even with that right now. Like what it's is no, it's it's that it's the, it's for a British TV show called Urban Myths. Sure. So yeah. it's a little bit campy anyway and exactly. it's not for so, serious. So, it's not for true true. Right. So so it 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 clarified because I mean I wasn't sure I heard rumors it's it's for some movie or it's not a movie or yeah I thought it was a movie exactly it's a, so it's like a TV it's so, like a TV show so now we like you say this is this campy thing where they're like fact or fiction with Jonathan Frakes it's a right, reenactment of where they're something. they're reenacting these weird urban myths and one of them was like Michael Jackson Liz Taylor and somebody else you know on this road trip after 9-11 what's her face playing elizabeth taylor that was freaking inspired like they ought to do a, a real movie with her as elizabeth taylor like i would go see that but it's but ruined by i this, see that just i'm like this monstrosity i'm like you couldn't find a single light-skinned black person and just Not Put not a one. Some, put 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 just use the prosthetics on him then. I'm just like really. <sighs> I'm I not, don't know. I'm I, not I, even. I can't. 
I'm just not even. He yeah. looks like, um, you know what he looks like when Crispin Glover played Willy Wonka in was a scary movie or like epic movie or one of those oh. like he played the Johnny Depp version of Willy Wonka, <laughs> one of those like <laughs> movie movies. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just so. Uh, listen, the the best thing you can do. And the nose, the prosthetic nose is so weird. The best thing you can do is not watch it. Just don't watch it. I can't. I I mean, I'm not going to. Don't watch that drivel, that crap, and don't pay it any mind. Let it come and go without even a blip on the screen because it's just ridiculous. I can't. No, we're just not. We're just not. We're just not. I mean, because, you know, no matter what his skin color Michael Jackson was always the blackest. Like he would like he was very adamant about being yes. black. And 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 you could, you know, you could say that whatever his skin and his nose and his hair was, you know, the epitome of self-hate, but his words and his actions yes was always the blackest. And and that's just Listen, that's just, if anybody has any doubts, I posted it before. Go back on YouTube and find the Freddie Gibbs <laughs> oh, yeah. story of Michael Jackson going through KFC or, or coming back to his hometown, Indiana. You see how black it was. You'll see. I'm telling yeah. you. And, 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 if, and if anybody doesn't remember, I'm going to find it and I'm going to post it again at the end of this episode so y'all can listen to it again. It is probably one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. <laughs> you should repost that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repost that, and we should repost it as well on on our Facebook page again. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, one of the blackest things you'll ever hear, and it's hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. So yes, to all of our tens of fans, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash TCAT Podcast. Find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Hipcast. <laughs> Don't forget us to also look for Good Morning Antioch, which is also on all those great uh, platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, HipCast. Check that out. You can also email us at gmail, at tcatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also give us a call. No one ever calls. You guys got to call and say stuff, and we'll play it on the air. Don't just, don't just do a lot of heavy breathing. That doesn't count. No, that doesn't count. And, you know, getting, you know, trying to get me to vote for whatever, that also doesn't count. That doesn't count. Um, but the number is 504-345-9344. Boom. Because so, if you just do nothing but heavy breathing, I don't know if it's meant for me or if it's meant for Sheree. I mean. Not sure. I'll gladly take it, you know. Can't post it if we're not sure. And can't post it if we're not sure. Exactly. So listen, I hope 2017, for all of you out there, is going to be a good year. Make it a good year. Make it a year where you decide, you know what, I'm going to take that next step. That's what you got to do. If if Rocky has taught us one thing, it's you got to take it one punch, one step, one round at a time. You always got to be moving forward. So let's make 
2017, the year we move forward. Well, we take that punch, we take that step, we take that round. Whether it be a win or a loss, we're like, cool, we brush it off, and we go to the next one. Because that's the only way anything gets accomplished. That's the only way you can feel accomplished or feel like you're getting some stuff done. You got to take it. You got to take the crookeds with the straights. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do in 2017. Yep. We're going to keep pushing forward and take the crookeds with the straights. Take the crookeds with the straights. And no matter what, you keep going forward. That's what we're going to do. So for myself, Ms. Stewart. Mr. Chambers. To our tens of listeners, thank you all. See ya. Saw that nigga Mike one time in my life in person. Didn't believe Michael Jackson was coming to Gary, but he came. You would have thought Jesus came back. That was like a real uh, symbol of the hope just for that nigga coming back. He hadn't been back there for a while. Gary ain't got enough money for Mike to do to, to sing a note on the mic. Nigga went to uh, speak at this baseball stadium and shit, this big stupid-ass baseball stadium we got in Gary. I don't know why the fuck we got that shit, because niggas don't watch baseball anyway. This nigga Mike walked around Gary in his pajamas with like a Captain Crunch suit on. His shit was laid, his perm was laid out, he was good. And you know shit, that nigga had to come get him something to eat and shit, man. That nigga motherfucking Mike came through and went to KFC, dog. And Mike bought all the motherfucking honey barbecue wings, man, all the goddamn original. He went through the drive-thru, nigga. All you saw the niggas in the limo, you saw the goddamn shiny gloves sticking out the uh, sunroof. He was waving that nigga and shit. Took like a motherfucking hour to get his order out. And I swear this nigga ordering extra crispy, motherfucking uh, original, all that shit. Man, niggas was honking the horn behind them and shit. They like, damn, Mike, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Come after Mike, ain't it? That nigga ran out of chicken. But that nigga bought all the chicken for the people, my nigga. When he pulled up to the baseball stadium, he started throwing the chicken out the car and shit. The nigga was like, what the fuck? Am I passing out chicken? Like, <laughs> all you see is the motherfucking goddamn <laughs> shiny glove throwing chicken out the window. Niggas running to the limo like, mine. They try to get autographs and shit. Man, niggas standing on top of the cars. Niggas was going crazy. It was grown niggas out there fainting and shit like that. I'm going gangsta ass niggas out there. My God! This nigga's crying. I'm seeing killers crying and shit with tears in their eyes. Like, Mike! You know, everybody love Mike, you know. Yeah, Mike love Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know that shit for a motherfucking fat. Finger licking good, Mike. <laughs>